Good morning, Vision for You. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Overeaters Anonymous Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Janice, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, May 2nd, 2013. Today we are reading from the big book. We are in Bill's story on page 8, and we are going to start with the first full paragraph on that page that begins with, No words can tell of the loneliness and despair. The reference number for yesterday, which was Wednesday, May 1st, is 4385. That's 4385. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I'd now like to ask Irene to please read the 12 steps. Thank you, Janice. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irene, and I am a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives have become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove all our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. I thank you and I pass. Thank you, Irini. I'd now like to ask Margaret to please read the 12 traditions. Thank you so much, Janice. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Margaret H., compulsive overreader in Illinois. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, An OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, 
Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever nonprofessional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such should never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And Twelve, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Margaret, very much. Sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, oh, I'm sorry, I already read that. How our meeting works. Thank you, how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we are going to resume our study of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we are on page eight in Bill's story, beginning with the paragraph, full paragraph on that page that says, no words can tell of the loneliness. And this morning I would like to ask Esther to please Read that paragraph. Good morning. My name is Esther, and I'm a compulsive overeater in Canada. No words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. Quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. So um, here he is cornered again, and I like this uh, comparison to the quicksand because uh, we know what the nature of quicksand is. When you're, when you're, when someone's in the quicksand, they can't get out. Nothing of their own res- own resources can help them out of that quicksand. Only something outside of the quicksand, with, which has got more power than they do, is, is able to take them out of the quicksand. And this is the position that he finds himself in. That that nothing about Bill, none of his own personal um, accomplishments or capabilities or resources was able to re- remove him, f- remove this problem of, of drinking from him. Not self-knowledge, not the desire for things to be different, not the physical pain that he suffers, not the desperation, you know, that he feels um, not watching himself struggle and fail at everything that's important to him, is able to re- take him out of this quicksand where he finds himself in terms of his drinking. And this was true for me as well. None of the resources that I was able to muster, none of my own personal capabilities, none of my own uh, life circumstances, no person, situation, or emotional state, none of that was able to give me the power to to get myself out of the uh, desperation of compulsive overeating and to remove that problem for me. And, of course, we, because we're reading this book, know what the end is. But still, even that he finds himself in this place, it's... You, we're going to see that he's going to still continue to drink because even being in, in the most despairing of places and even feeling like one in this is a quicksand, we're still not able to re, to remove ourselves from our situation. And we'll see that yet it's it's not going to be enough and it's only going to be until someone is going to suggest something else to him that he will be um, a, a power greater than himself that's going to be able to actually uh, you know, throw out that stick to him while he's in the quicksand and pull him out. It won't be until then that he's going to be able to... Uh, to uh, be re- relieved of this uh, difficult drinking that he's found himself in. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Esther. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? 
Press star one to unmute. This is Christy. Go ahead, Ms. Christy. Hi, good morning, Janice. Good morning, A Vision for You. This is Christy, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And uh, oh, this paragraph, I can feel this paragraph. I can feel it to my core. And the reason I can feel it is because I know this feeling. I know that loneliness and despair. Um, I know that bitter morass of self-pity, and I know what it feels like to be in that quicksand, and I know what it's like to have food as my master. And I... um, you know, there was a point, I mean, the, you know, the good news I'll, I'll say here is that um, I know that feeling and I recognize that feeling and I'm also out of that feeling. I'm, I'm not there anymore. I'm not there anymore. And I don't know, you know, I remember, I remember that, I remember that point in time that complete surrender is what it was for me when I said, food is my master. I'm not the master of food. Food is the master of me. Food is the master of me. And, you know, it took a lot for me to finally get to that point. I was done. By the time I said that, when I finally said to myself, food is the master of me, I am not, you know, I am delusional. I am delusional if I think I am, you know, somehow controlling my food. You know, I walked into OA in 1994. I weighed 340 pounds. I lost 140 of it, and I gained 100 of it back in the rooms. And um, it wasn't until, you know, September of 2001 when I said, food has me beat. Food has me, I'm I'm done. I'm done. You know, what is it going to take, Christy? What is it going to take? Um, I, you know, I was, <laughs> I was killing myself, uh, you know, on the slow plan. I was killing myself, and I just said, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I don't care what it takes. You know, I'll crack open the spine of my big book, and uh, I'll read this thing. I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll do whatever it takes. Um, because I, I was absolutely done. And, you know, this is, it's powerful, and it's, you know, it's, heart-wrenching to read about this and it's even more heart-wrenching to feel it and to know it and it was exactly it was exactly where I needed to be it was exactly where I I needed to be in order to be presented with a solution you know in order to be presented with a solution that might work for someone like me you know here's here's what your real problem is Christy Here's what your real problem is. And the good news is that, you know, if you identify in and know that that's, that's your real problem, if that resonates with you, then we have a solution. And that's exactly what I found in, um, you know, reading this literature. And I'm just so grateful for that, so grateful for that. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Christy. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, my name is Debbie, recovering Compulsive overeater from Chicago. Go ahead, Debbie. Hi. I came into these rooms uh, about three years ago, and I was totally beaten. Um, Every day I would keep wanting to start a diet over and over again, and I couldn't do it. I had no reason. It didn't matter how strong my will was. I just couldn't do it, and food really was my master. Day after day I came home, and it was just the same cycle over and over and over again until I realized that I was totally powerless over food when I came in there, and I was ready to surrender myself over to my higher power that I couldn't do it by myself, and only with the grace of my higher power have I been able to stay on this program for three years. I'm so grateful. Um, I I listen every morning. I've been listening for years um, to the vision for you, and I'm so grateful for this to be able to study the big book. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Debbie. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, this is Deborah from Naples, Florida. Go ahead, Deborah. Hi, my name is Deborah. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Um, This uh, quicksand stretching around me in all directions, I think that that is the most apt metaphor because when you're in quicksand, any effort that you make actually sends you deeper. And that is the way I think of uh, my relationship with food um, over the past 40-plus years, which is that 
every effort that I made to get over it, to diet my way out of it, to make a plan that this time would be different, actually sunk me deeper and deeper. It was a complete astonishment uh, to all of my friends and family that I've been on a diet since I was 15 years old, and yet somehow every year I gain more weight. So even though I'm on a diet to lose weight, I'm always gaining it. And that is because my own efforts always sunk me deeper and deeper and deeper into the disease. Thank God that there's a solution for it. But there's no question that in the end, I had to admit that food was also my master. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Deborah. Well, this is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. You know, we are we are looking at Bill here in a place where he really feels like this is it. He's been he he is in that place of such loneliness and such despair, and he even recognized this is this is a bitter morass of self pity. You know, self pity. And he's feeling powerless over his whole life. He's feeling powerless over his whole life. You know, the quicksand has stretched around him in all directions. You know, he he sees no way out. His self-knowledge didn't work. His self-will was not enough. He he couldn't think his way out of it. You know, even though even though alcohol had at one time been a wonderful thing in his life. You know, it had been full of fun and and he was socializing and and he was connecting with people and drinking was a lot of fun. But then it turned on him. It turned on him, became much more powerful than he was. And he couldn't he he, he now he's finding himself unable to stay sober even for short periods of time. You know, it, those periods of time, life for me, life for me, you know, I, I could stay abstinent. I could stay on a diet for a while. But towards the end, those periods got shorter and shorter and shorter. That time between picking up that first bite became shorter and shorter. The intervals closer and closer and closer together. And, and that scared me to death. And I kept telling myself that one way or the other, couldn't I get back to that other time when I, when I had some power and some control over it? But experience was staring me in the face. And it got worse and worse and worse and never better and never better. You know, I didn't, didn't want to acknowledge for a long time that food had me beat. But finally, finally, I couldn't bear it anymore. Alcohol was my master. I had been overwhelmed, just like Bill. But what was I going to do about it? What was I going to do about it? I could not think my way out of it. I could not think my way out of it. And I kept picking up again and again and again, just like Bill. Just like Bill. I had to be in that very same place, just like Bill. Where I finally got to the point where I said, Alcohol is my master. Food is my master. But what was I going to do about it? And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? Yes, Penny E. Leah. Okay, I heard Penny E. and then Leah. And then someone else who will catch. Thank you. Thank you, Janice. This is Penny E., Recovered Compulsive O-Reader in South Jersey. This is exciting. I want to say fabulous, far out, wow. Step one, step one. He's taking step one. Alcohol was my master. I had been overwhelmed. Step one, I'm powerless. This is exciting because once we take step one, we have no other place to go but step two. He doesn't know it yet. We know it. But it's, it's, a, it's a natural progression. Once I say I'm powerless, I've got to find some power. So I think this is very exciting. Step one, and I can identify 100% quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. Thank you, God. Have a God-filled day, everybody. Thank you, Penny. 
Go ahead, Leah. Hi, Janice. Good morning to you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Yes, it is exciting because we're not there. And Bill, of course, is writing this in hindsight. No words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity, the swamp, so to speak, quicksand stretched around me in all directions. And as was previously noted, you know, when you're in quicksand, any move you make just uh, only sucks you deeper into the substance. And if you're in quicksand, you know, the only way to be delivered from it is to be rescued uh, you know, he, he can't get out himself, and, and that is the nature of the beast of the disease. That is the nature. I mean, I, I uh, you know, make the analogy of a boxing ring. You know, whenever I was in the boxing ring with compulsive overeating, I would be in one corner, my disease would be in the other corner, and at first, you know, uh, we simply kind of danced around one another. It wasn't so bad. You know, sometimes compulsive overeating would throw a, a punch. Uh, I'd get a little bruised. Uh, perhaps I'd fall down, you know, but I'd get back up. There was still some relief and some uh, fun in those cellophane bags. Uh, but then those punches got harder and they got faster and my eyes would swell shut and my lips would be bloodied up and I'd crawl my way around the ring and, you know, sometimes I'd bring some other things with me into the ring like my intellect or my self-knowledge or more willpower or a new diet or, uh, you know, a self-help book. Um, but, you know, I kept getting beaten to a pulp and that's exactly what's happening here with Bill. He is getting acquainted with true powerlessness and unmanageability. And when we say powerlessness, we're not talking about 75% powerlessness or 83% powerlessness. We're talking about 100% powerlessness. He has, he has absolutely no power when it comes to this uh, illness of his. And remember, Bill didn't have AA. And his pride is in ruins here. Um, you know, he's acknowledging that there's a problem here, but he cannot, from with all his determination. And this is a brilliant man. I mean, you have to remember, you know, he he's a he went to the war, he went to law school, he was one of the first uh, stock analysts. You know, he has a great mind, but he cannot, with his own intellect, with his own knowledge, with his own determination, he can't loosen himself from the shackles of this despair. He cannot, on his own, free himself from this trap. This is a bottomless pit of alcoholism, a bottomless pit, and he is unable to imagine life with alcohol anymore. But neither can he imagine it without it. So he is knowing loneliness right here, and he's knowing despair. And he is off, he's at the jumping point. And anybody who has embarked on this program of recovery hopefully gets to their own personal quicksand. It doesn't have to look exactly like Bill's or exactly like mine. But it has to be a point where we're done, where we're finished, we're laid out. Because man reaches highest when he's at his lowest. And perhaps Bill is getting there. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. And there was one other person who wanted to share. Yeah, this is Nancy from Lewiston. Go ahead, Nancy. Hey, I, you know, um, as I listen to Bill in this story describe his bottom, I mean, just like everybody else, I can so relate I don't know, you know, I was one of those people that sat in the rooms having come in and at first lost over 100 pounds and then went back out, gained it all back plus some more, you know, came back, lost it, you know, in and out, just in and out. I, and I got to that place, you know, I just looked up the word morass and one of the definitions is a complicated or confusing situation. Bill is in a complicated and confusing situation. He does not know what to do. He is saying, I'm done. I don't know what else to do. You know, I, I'm, you know, alcohol is his master. I mean, what else does that say? He has no idea what to do about it. And that's where I was with the food. I remember saying 
to myself, I'm just going to be fat. Well, fat, I was obese. At 375 pounds, I was obese. And I just resigned myself that this is the way I'm going to be. I was one of those... Hello? Can you still hear me? I can hear you. Oh, great. I'm sorry. I thought... Okay, never mind. Anyway, I was one of those people that was sitting in the rooms of um, Overeaters Anonymous knowing telling myself and saying out loud when I shared that God brought me to Overeaters Anonymous because he knew I needed it. And um, while I'm not abstinent yet, boy, I'm I'm hopeful. I have hope from what I hear in these meetings, and I'm going to pray. And I don't know how many times I said that. I don't know how many times. I don't. I wish somebody would shove a big book in my face and said, read this because there's nowhere in there. I'm here to tell you if you're one of those people that's hanging out and hoping and praying because you know God's brought you to the right place, there is no place I have ever found in the big book that tells me I'm going to be able to quit eating compulsively by hoping and praying. It tells me I'm going to have to put the food down and I'm going to have to find somebody who's been through it to guide me through the steps in order to bring about a spiritual experience sufficient to bring about recovery. That's what I needed to do. Willingness was, I mean, I wanted it. Wanting it's not enough. I was willing to do it. Willingness is good. You've got to have the willingness, but you have to follow that willingness up with action. And I know that God brought me to these rooms to get me out of that bottom. But once I got to the rooms, I believe he expected me to follow the suggestions that I was hearing in the rooms, and that's what I didn't do, and that's why I hit that bottom. And every time I hit it, I didn't hit it just once. I hit it over and over and over again until I was in that state that Bill describes right now. That, that, you know, in the quicksand, I love that analogy. I never thought of it that way before. I can't remember who said it this morning about the more you try on your own effort, the deeper down you go. And I thought, man, how true is that with this insidious disease? And that's where Bill is right now. He is, he's at it. He doesn't know what to do. Alcohol has got him. And that's where I was with the food. But I'm here to tell you, I can't wait till we read on because now we're going to start talking about the hope and the, or the solution. So thank you for letting me share everybody and I'll pass. Thank you, Nancy. Would anyone else have to comment before we move on? Yeah, I would. I would. This is Randy from uh, South Florida. Go ahead, Randy. Okay. Um, You know, going over um, these, um, you know, these paragraphs in the the big book, it made me think of a time, um, and I didn't remember it until recently, where um, I remember going to one of these drive-through places and buying a box of something. And I was driving, crying, and begging God to help me stop doing this, stop eating, and at that time still shoving the food in my mouth. And I didn't know about powerlessness. I I just kept praying to God, and I, I didn't know about OA. I didn't know, you know anything, and finally... I had a therapist who kept suggesting to me that I try it, and um, I wouldn't. I just kept, you know, putting it off. And then finally he blackmailed me, you know, saying that he wouldn't see me anymore if I didn't go. And when I got there, I still didn't think that I was one of those people. But as I stayed in the room, I, I kept hearing people, you know, they shared about their recovery and that, you know, the happiness that they felt and the, um, you know, happy, joyous, and free. And all I knew was that I wanted what they had, and that was the start of my journey. And um, I am so grateful for that. And um, I'm just so grateful for OA. Thank you. Thank you, Randy. Anyone else before we move on? All right, we'll move on to the next paragraph. And Katie, would you please read that? I am so sorry, but I cannot read right now. I'm driving. I thought okay. I was back in time. That's so <laughs> right. Thank you, Katie. Thank you. Um, if someone else could read it, and, you know, I'm sorry. I would. That's all, that's all right, Katie. That's all right. Um, Melanie, are you there? Could you read that for us? I sure can. Hi, this is Melanie, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Oregon. 
Trembling, I stepped from the hospital a broken man. Fear sobered me for a bit. Then came the insidious insanity of that first drink. And on Armistice Day, 1934, I was off again. Everyone became resigned to the certainty that I would have to be shut up somewhere or would stumble along to a miserable end. How dark it is before the dawn. In reality, that was the beginning of my last about. I was soon to be catapulted into what I like to call the fourth dimension of existence. I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. Boy, wow. <laughs> Again, my name is Melanie, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Oregon. And um, I love reading every single one of these words. This is the place. This is the place he was at, trembling. He stepped from the hospital, finally at that place, at that bottom. At that place. I just... A little bit caught off guard, I think, because the last few words that I really wanted to 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 speak on is the happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. And I want to really speak from my situation. I can imagine what Bill was like. I I certainly read all of those things and and studied with you all of these pieces and places where he had been. And then came that day for myself the day that I had done all that I was going to do, the place that I was out of answers, out of questions, I was sick of hearing myself, and I was 50 years old at that particular point, and I was done. How did I know that that was my last bottom? How did I know? I didn't. I felt like I had been in that low before, trembling with no place to go, at an age in my life that I knew that really I had had convinced myself my life was over. Where in the world do you go at 50 years old when you've accomplished nothing? when you've accomplished absolutely nothing and you've destroyed the lives of people around you. I knew that I saw that I felt that I was sick of me, absolutely sick of me. And then something happened, a switch, a switch. I don't know. I can't even tell you what it was, but I, 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 the essence of it, in hindsight, that's where my story would be, just like Bill's. In hindsight, there was a power greater than me that pulled me up out of this deal. And then that hope and that moment, that glimmer and that peace, and every day since, through every single thing that has been put on the chopping block for me, I have had no, I've known a happiness and a peace and a way of life that has put purpose and integrity and usefulness back into, the, into my daily experience. And it was not me. It was given to me every single step of the way. And we're going to learn more about that as we move on here, but I, I just cannot, I just it made my heart leap to say these words out of my mouth. I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. And with that, I pass. Thank you for the opportunity to read. Thank you, Melanie. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? This is Katie Barrett. Go ahead, Katie, and then Barrett. Hi, this is Katie. Thank you so much, Melanie, for jumping in for me. Um, Then came the insidious first drink. And, you know, this, um, you know, the first part said that he, fear kept him sober for a short time. And, you know, that's what happened to me. I would would, uh, go on a binge and I would think, oh, I'm never going to do that again, you know, and and it's not the binge. It's that first bite that gets me. It was not being willing to admit that I was addicted to behaviors and as well as certain foods, as well as sugar. I thought if I just gave up sugar, I would be fine. But, you know, that became, um, it, it wasn't just that. And the level of honesty that it took for me to admit you know, all the different things that I have to stay away from. I've been abstinent for a long time, as as, uh, as I have mentioned before, and so I have children now, one is 17 and one is 15, who have never seen me compulsively ever eat. And they, um, so it's like my daughter, who's 15, is, is she knows it, but there's certain things that she's just never focused on. So th- it, this week, she was asking me about um, 
my eating and because she's learning about eating disorders in her health class. And so somehow the topic of cheese came up and I said, No, I said, I don't eat I don't eat cheese. I said, That's a binge food for me. I said, Have you ever seen me eat cheese? And she was like, No, I haven't. And uh I said, No, I can't do ooey gooey. You know, I don't do combinations that make this fit uh fat rich combination of food. But I didn't know that for a very long time and I tried in these rooms to still just eat moderately, not eating sugar, you know, and those kind of things. And I ended up, you know, back down that road again. Um, and it's that first bite. It's that first bite that gets me. But I didn't know what it was. And, you know, like Melanie just shared, I didn't know when I got abstinent on October 7, 1987, that I got abstinent. I mean, I knew I was abstinent that minute. But I didn't know I was going to stay abstinent. And that was the greatest thing for me because it wasn't my self-knowledge. It wasn't my fear. It wasn't anything. And that, it, except for God, God doing for me what I could not do by myself. And my willingness to ask for help over anything, anything. And I still have to do that today, obviously. You know, I messed up this morning. I, my timing got off. I didn't make it back from driving my husband to work and running an errand before it was my turn to read. You know, I called two people. They were on the phone, so they didn't answer. But you know what? We're in this lifeboat together, and someone helped me. Someone stepped in. You know, that's what this program is about. Is You know, I could have just bailed and not even, you know, acted like my phone was broken or something. But, you know, that's the level of honesty that we have to have and humility in this program to admit when we screw up before we really screw up and pick up the food over our uh, not willing to, being willing to accept that we are human. And uh, with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. Go ahead, Ben. This is Vera, the Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Israel. Uh, when I read this paragraph and I hear the word crumbling, I remember that when I came to the program and I was told that actually compulsive overeating is just like, um, you know, just like alcohol or, um, or like drugs, and I, I thought to myself, no way, you know, I don't, I don't have this kind of thing like, you know, education or traveling. And I also remember that I used to compare and say, oh, my God, and if I am an addict, so I'm in the worst addiction because um, with alcohol, you can just put it away. You don't have to touch it in that way. the same with drugs. But with food, you have to open the refrigerator three times a day, and you have to touch it. And I also remember that I used to think, oh, but if I would feel that the next, you know, the next portion of drugs or the next bottle of alcohol is going to kill me, it's going to make me stop. And here, what we're seeing is that it's so much just the same, like knowledge or doesn't help. Any rationality around it doesn't help. Even a really physical state, horrible physical state, doesn't make me or us um, bring ourselves to stop by ourselves. It just it doesn't happen. And I'm so thankful um, to this program when I got to the Vision for You and to the Big Book Study Understanding from the doctor's opinion that there is the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind, and both of them are part of the disease, and I cannot just separate between. And when I was told that when I'm going to distinguish with God, asking to be honest and checking what are my binge foods, and then not touching them ever again, then I'm just like any alcoholic or any drug addict. Because really, I can touch things today three times a day, but the things that are not mine are not mine. And I guess also, if I'm honest with myself, I had my physical moments feeling horrible just 
like uh, this, uh, this trembling. Um, maybe other people wouldn't notice it, but I know how much I suffered from uh, stomachache, from nausea, from eating on and on and on and on. And thank God that there is a solution, and the solution is God. Thank you very much. Thank you, Barrett. Well, this is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And I, I always read this paragraph, and I say, oh, thank God, Bill, put that last sentence in there. Thank God, because it was getting really dark. You know, his story was getting really dark. And thank God he showed us that there was going to be light, that there was going to be hope, that there was going to be something that happened to him. Because, you know, it says, fear sobered me for a bit. Fear sobered me for a bit. Well, I know in my disease and my illness of compulsive overeating, you know, fear could get me abstinent for a bit of time, perhaps. But fear couldn't keep me abstinent. Fear couldn't, couldn't scare me into staying abstinent. It might be able to get me there. I might be so scared. Something might happen to me. I was so sick from my last binge. I was so demoralized. I was so depressed that I would try to hang on by my fingernails, you know, for just a little while because it scared me so much. But then came the insidious insidious insanity the insidious insanity. Because that's what always happened. I'd be abstinent, but it was my thinking, it was my thinking that would lead me back to picking up that first bite. Even when I didn't have any of my business foods in my system, even when I did not have that phenomenon of craving, it was my thinking. It was that insanity. And I hated that word, insanity. I did not want to believe that I was insane. But what else could it be? What else could it be? If I looked at the, at the progression, I didn't want to look at the progression, but if I looked at the progression, what else could it be but insanity? And that's exactly darkness, darkness. But Bill says darkness before the dawn. And I said this yesterday, the lowest ebb is the turn of the tide had to get to just that place, just that place in me where I could be ready for what what Bill says is the fourth dimension of existence. You know, we have these dimensions of existence, but here we were going to be catapulted into a fourth dimension, into a place I could not even imagine. But thank God Bill showed me in his story here a hint of what was to come a hint of what was to come. And so we'll hear the rest of the story. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is I'd Paula. Like Leah. Paula. Both of overeater. I heard Paula, Leah, and then Phyllis. Okay. This is Paula, uh, recovered compulsive eater. You know, I just, as you read this, you know, I'm so glad that there was an end to this paragraph and a a beautiful ending it was, but before that ending, he uses the word beginning. But you know, I I like what was shared, and not like it. I lived it what was shared. You know, another thing, that old bit, fear sobered me for a bit. Remember he always uses those those terminologies that you know don't mean forever. For a short time, for a while, for a bit. And then he goes on about the insanity. Because it does. It, you know, we, we see a repetitive action here. There was no other way for him to go. We all understand where the master is. The master will tell you where to go. You ain't going to tell it where to go. And then it goes on. And I, I just have to say, how dark is it before the dawn? Take a look. There's nothing to see. There's nothing else to see. Just that blackness. But you know, then he goes, how dark it is before the dawn. Well, we can answer that one. He described it. He lived it. He lived in darkness. Total and complete now. In reality, oh, now how does the the beginning of my last debunch, when you stand and you watch the darkness and you see that just on the horizon, 
just just a tad bit at the beginning of the light, and you almost like can project something's coming forward, something's moving in, but that I was soon to be catapulted. You know that word to hurl or make an object go as far as possible. That's what he needed. He needed to be catapulted into this fourth dimension, a dimension that he had to see, think, feel, hear differently. It had to be because he did it when he was the same. And he couldn't do it. That self-knowledge had to be totally set aside, totally and completely. But you know, that part, now I'm going to come along, that fourth dimension of existing. There was no existence in the life he was living. And then he goes, I was to know, oh, imagine, now, this is a different knowledge. I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness, a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. So the beginning grows. Thank you for allowing me to share with that. I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you so much, Janice. Obviously, things are going to turn around for Bill. Otherwise, we wouldn't be sitting here this morning uh, studying this text and being members of a 12-step group. Um, It says, trembling, I stepped from the hospital a broken man. Fear sobered me me for a bit. Um, Yes, you know, Bill has had a scare, obviously. He was uh, in town's hospital. Uh, The physicians gave him you know, uh, a, uh, you know, good talking to, but you can't scare an alcoholic into staying sober for very long because you can't scare the dying. You know, Bill's dying here in the disease of alcoholism. Uh, he is knowledgeable. Dr. William Silkworth told him about the fact that he has an allergy of the body, the fact that when he takes a drink, it triggers a phenomenon of craving. He has that knowledge. But knowledge is not enough because it says, then came the insidious insanity of that first drink. It's so important to understand. You know, there are many, many, many people who have allergies. I speak often about my daughters having allergies to strawberries, kiwi, uh, fish. They don't have to go to Tuna Anonymous. They don't have to sit around in a circle talking about how they're not going to eat tuna today. They just don't eat tuna. They had experience eating tuna. They had experience with hives and difficulty breathing, and they decided, you know what? It's not a good idea to eat tuna. We're not going to eat tuna, period, the end, end of story. That's why, you know, I can know up the kazoo what my allergies are. It's important for me to understand and identify what my allergic foods are, absolutely. But the greater aspect of my disease resides in my mind because the problem is the first bite. So when the big book talks about this insidious insanity, insidious meaning cunning or sly or very subtle and tricky, when the big book talks about insanity, it's not talking about after the alcoholic drinks to excess and he urinates on, on himself and he starts dancing on tables. He's talking about, the big book is talking about the kind of insanity that takes control of us before we pick up that first drink or that first bite. The insanity that makes us take that first bite, that is the mental obsession. Because that obsession of the mind, the greater aspect of the disease, keeps giving Bill permission to pick up that first drink. So the real problem isn't alcohol for Bill. The real problem is in his mind that convinces him to take a drink. That's the real problem for Bill. That was my real problem. And if I didn't believe I had that obsession of the mind, and I didn't believe that that obsession of the mind was a greater aspect of the disease, then there would be no reason for the steps. There would be no reason for the steps. So step one is powerlessness, meaning that 
nothing that comes from Bill's own resources, not his willpower, not his effort, not his goals, not his personal philosophy, not any knowledge that he has about his allergy to alcohol, none, none of his good intentions, not even a great scare in the hospital. None of that is enough to solve his problem of alcoholism. His human resources alone simply are not sufficient. So what King Alcohol is doing here, because he's leaving the hospital, and all he can do once he's left the hospital is try to stay sober, and that's not going to work for Bill. So King Alcohol is readying him to embrace a spiritual solution to the problem. Not a medical, not a psychological, not an intellectual solution, a spiritual solution. It's bloodying him up a bit more. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Go ahead, Phyllis. Hi, this is Phyllis, compulsive overeater. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, thank you very much for your service, Janice, and everybody else. This, um, mm. uh, somebody in, in OA told me about this meeting, and this is the first time um, I've listened. I've been in OA for about 30 years, and... Um, my my being overweight was one thing. I told my husband to be, you know, I'm a compulsive overeater, and he looked at me and said, you're beautiful. Um, then food started disappearing. He believed me. Yeah, the fear, the fear sobered me for a bit. But when I came to OA, it's, I've been in uh, the program for 30 years. It's been a slow recovery. Uh, I'm thinner, much thinner than when I came in. But the fat between the ears is something that I have to work on. And I don't like, I don't like um, being in that insanity. The, the word insanity was actually comforting because in my family, mental health, we didn't have much mental health, uh, much good mental health. So it was comforting to be around people who were admitting that they had an insanity. Um, Everything has its similarities and everything has its differences. Yet to imagine Bill's despair, because you know I, I've been at um, AA meetings and I've heard some of this anguish, and um, it does feel a little bit different than compulsive overeating. Also, it doesn't even the, there's the inner misery and then there's the outer stigma. This stigma that is so terrible even today um, to admit that one is an alcoholic as if it is a personal failing, as if it is a moral failing. Um, although AA has done much and certainly Bill did and to uh, change that. Well, I'm thin, but five days ago I binged and, you know, I was in the insanity. Uh, again, feeling that certain things in my life I could not deal with and that food would be a wonderful, wonderful comfort. Uh, I no longer eat certain things that I'm allergic to, but the behavior can continue, and it was really frightening to me. It's frightening to me that if I swerve a little bit off this path, it's going to get so much worse than I could even imagine for body, mind, and spirit. And at the same time, there is this way of life which every time I say that I will be done and let go of the idea that my manipulation of things, my managing of things, my putative martyrdom is, is going to change things. And um, I keep having wonderful experiences and wonderful days as I, um, as I practice the 12 steps and as I use all the tools. And still, if I go to the insanity of that way of thinking, you know, that there's something in my life that because I can't handle it, food can, um, I'm going to fall into the abyss. So very grateful to be here. Thanks. Okay. Thank you, Phyllis. Well, since we have a short time left, instead of moving on to the next paragraph, I'd like to invite people to uh, to comment on that uh, on that last sen two sentences. I was soon to be catapulted into what I like to call the fourth dimension of existence. I was to know happiness, peace, 
and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. Would anyone like to comment on those last two sentences? This is Katie Hi, from Boston. Hi, this is Beth from California. Katie and then Beth. Good morning. My I, my name is Katie, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Boston, Massachusetts. And um, what a privilege to be on this line this morning, catapulted into the fourth dimension. Um, yeah, I mean, what I found similar to Bill is the powerlessness of the food addiction, the powerlessness of this um, chronic mental illness that I have that tells me that food is the solution. I thought for so many years that food was the problem, but it was the only solution that I ever applied to my problems. And as the result of working the 12 steps and being um, brought through by another woman and showed what my selfishness, my dishonesty, my resentment, and my fears, those lies that I tell myself that perpetuate this selfishness that eventually lead to such self-hatred and such self-pity and such fear in my head that eating is a step up. You know, and when I was able to be brought through to that, through that process and able to get to the other side, you know, and, and share with another woman what the exact nature of my wrongs, my mistakes, how I misperceived situations, how I mistook your intentions, your facial gestures, your everything as being directly related to me, man, was I catapulted. And I continue to be catapulted every day and to know happiness and usefulness. I have a primary purpose today. I never had a primary purpose. My primary purpose is to stay abstinent and to help other women today. You know, and like if you ask me my primary purpose, you know, until I did these steps, it was to get my stuff. It was to get thin and then get my stuff. And if I use this program to get thin enough, then you all somehow promised me I was going to get my stuff. That was my misperception. I somehow miss, missed the entire fact that we are a 12-step program, you know, and that this isn't about me getting my stuff. This is about me getting right with God and getting right with other people. And I, you know, say, I'll just close with this, I don't recognize my life today. I don't recognize my life. I don't recognize this person that wakes up early in the morning grateful, grateful to be alive, looking forward to the day, um, you know, with a relationship with God who um, helps me in every situation, who's there for me all the time, and who has created this fourth dimension for me that I never knew. You know, this fourth um, arena in which he is available to me at all times. Um, so I am truly grateful and uh, privileged to listen to all of you this morning, and God bless. Thank you, Katie. Go ahead, Beth. Hi, this is um, Beth from California, a recovered compulsive overeater. And um, I just also want to um, um, focus on the fact that, you know, four and a half years ago, I too did not know that this is my last debauch. And, and yet my life is different, incredibly different. Um, and I, I do know that happiness, peace, and usefulness. And, uh, you know, I am a, uh, um, a very grateful member of, of Overeaters Anonymous. Um, and... I love the juxtaposition of these two paragraphs, you know, that bitter morass of self-pity and then, you know, this last sentence, the happiness, peace, and usefulness. Um, and um, if, if, if Bill can do it, if I can do it, if so many of us out there on this line um, can, can uh, get to that point of recovered, then anyone can do it because I had been in and out of these rooms more in than out for 30 years before it was my last debauch. Um, And so, you know, there's hope out there. So, you know, please, everyone who's on this line struggling, you know, Bill's saying there's hope. We have, we we can know happiness, peace, and usefulness. And, um, and the last thing I want to say is, you know, that these two paragraphs, I just feel so lucky to, you know, be up and hearing these this morning with all of you. You know, we're a, a friend of mine in Oa who who recently passed, and um, these were his two favorite paragraphs, Scott. And um, it just feels like, you know, you know, we're all in this together, and um, and we can do it with our higher power, with this book as our guide. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Beth. All right, we are at the close of our meeting then today, and I want to thank you to everyone who shared. We had a good, hard-working meeting today. I love it. 
Thank you to Erini and Margaret H., to Esther and Katie, and to everyone who stepped up and shared today. It was a beautiful meeting. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And uh, we need someone to read that for us. Are you available, Katie? Hi, Janet. This is Hoodie. Thank you, Hoodie. Would you do that for me, please? No problem. Uh, um, good morning, vision for you. This is Hoodie, Compulsive Overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then, pass. Thank you for letting me 